This is Alan Johnson, pastor of Old Peachtree Presbyterian Church in Duluth, Georgia. The Bible is God's Word. It describes itself as living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Therefore, any encounter with the Bible is a momentous thing because it never leaves us unchanged. My prayer for you as you hear this message is that the Holy Spirit will use it in your life to inform your mind, to feed your soul, and to help you grow in your faith in Christ. Please turn with me in your Bibles this evening to Jeremiah chapter 17. Jeremiah 17, we're looking this evening at verses 5 through 18. We're nearing the end of a section in Jeremiah in which God has reproached his people for their persistent sin, their empty religion, and has threatened them with uh, the prospect of exile, of being removed from the land, which that was what the covenant entailed. Uh, go back to Deuteronomy, and for their obedience and faithfulness, covenant faithfulness, the Lord would bless them, prosper them, they would enjoy the land, but if they turned from the Lord, if they uh, worshipped other gods and sinned against the Lord, then he would remove them from the land, and in fact, you see that happening, and Jeremiah experienced that. Uh, this evening, we're looking at 17 verses 5 through 18, which in some ways is a, a more of a personal reflection on the part of Jeremiah. So let's read God's Word, beginning in verse 5. Jeremiah 17, verse 5. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes. For its leaves remain green, and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart, and test the mind, to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Like partridge that gathers a brood that she did not hatch, so is he who gets riches, but not by justice. In the midst of his days they will leave him, and at his end he will be a fool. A glorious throne set on high from the beginning is the place of our sanctuary. O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you shall be put to shame. Those who turn away from you shall be written in the earth, for they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living water. Heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved, for you are my praise. Behold, they say to me, Where is the word of the Lord? Let it come. I have not run away from being your shepherd, nor have I desired the day of sickness. You know what came out of my lips. It was before your face. Be not a terror to me. You are my refuge in the day of disaster. Let those be put to shame who persecute me. But let me not be put to shame. Let them be dismayed, but let me not be dismayed. Bring upon them the day of disaster. Destroy them 
with double destruction. Let's pray. Open our eyes, Lord, to your word. Lord, in this late hour of the day, we pray to be able to think clearly and to follow those things that you have for us in the scriptures tonight. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I recall seeing a video, I think online, conversation between John Piper and John MacArthur, an interview, sort of a panel discussion. And John Piper was talking about depression, struggling with melancholy, uh, struggling with depression, and, and about those who, who suffer from that. And he looked at John MacArthur, and he was sitting next to him and said, I suppose you've never suffered from that. And MacArthur's reply was, well, I've heard of it. Two very different personalities. I suspect Jeremiah uh, was a temperate, temperament more that of John Piper than John MacArthur, because as we read Jeremiah, as we've studied it, we see much of Jeremiah himself, uh, similar in a, in a sense to 2 Corinthians, which we studied Sunday nights not too long ago, uh, that, that reveals a great deal of Paul himself. Well, Jeremiah re- reveals a great deal of himself and his inward man uh, in, in the book that bears his name, and certainly in Lamentations, which is kind of the epilogue to Jeremiah. Well, Jeremiah, if he was not depressed out of his temperament, certainly uh, had the circumstances that would be depressing to almost anyone, even John MacArthur. Uh, Jeremiah lived, of course, in the closing days of Judah, the closing days of Jerusalem before it fell to the Babylonians. And he has his ups and downs. Now, if we go back a a page uh, or so to Jeremiah chapter 15, verse 18, we discover Jeremiah in a trough in a particularly low time. He says, Why is my pain unceasing, my wound incurable, refusing to be healed? Will you be to me like a deceitful brook, like waters that fail? Jeremiah reflects on his own suffering, but then he looks at God and says, Will you be like an oasis, a mirage that... uh, appears to be an oasis in the desert, but as you approach it, it it vanishes. Will you be like waters that fail, like a stream you go to and you find nothing but dust? That's what he says to the Lord. Well, obviously, uh, his his outlook has changed as we come to our passage tonight. Um, Sometimes a good night's rest or a hot meal will do that for you, as the Lord prescribed for Elijah and his post-victory depression in 1 Kings 19 after uh, the confrontation with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel in chapter 18. You'll recall how he was discouraged and saw himself as the only one left and wanted to die. And the Lord confronts him about that, but first he, after a night's rest, comes and feeds Elijah But sometimes it takes more than that. Sometimes it takes a true breakthrough of God's grace to 
turn our outlook to something more positive. And here, Jeremiah really seems to have experienced that. Not that he was necessarily out of the woods, but he's certainly doing much better than he was back in chapter 15, verse 18. He acknowledges here that his opinion that the Lord had left him utterly desolate was wrong. He acknowledges that the view they had, that the Lord ultimately would only disappoint, was incorrect. And we see that here. We confess here that the Lord is indeed a source of help, that he can be trusted, uh, that God can be trusted in all things. But there are three areas particularly that Jeremiah discusses here, areas in which God can be absolutely trusted. First of all, we can trust God to give us life. Look at verses 5 through 8. We have a comparison here, a negative and a positive. Uh, one kind of man, another kind of man. One is compared to a shrub, the other is compared to a tree. The first is the shrub. Look at verse 5. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. Now, this is someone who's not seeking the Lord, someone who's not trusting in the Lord, but rather, as he says, who trusts in man. It doesn't say trusts in a man. Obviously, we all have to trust certain people, male or female. We do trust people. We trust our wives, trust our children, trust friends who give us their word that they, they stand behind it. But that it goes even beyond that. He says, who trusts in man. Basically a humanist, that man is the measure of all things, that man is the one we're to look to for approval, uh, for our standards, for right, for wrong. Basically a humanist outlook and makes flesh his strength, which is basically saying the same thing in Hebrew parallelism. Trusts in man, makes flesh his strength. In other words, he looks to his own abilities. He looks to his own resources he looks to those around him, what they might be able to do for him, but he is not trusting in the Lord. Well, an analogy in verse 6, this man is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. Now, for a shrub in the desert, what is the greatest good that can come? Water, rain, right? Well, he says he shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness not just dry, but in an uninhabited salt land. Think of a, a poor shrub trying to make it on a salt flat with no water anywhere to be found. That's a pretty futile undertaking, isn't it? Well, that's the picture of the man who has turned from the Lord and is trusting in man and trusting in his own strength. But then notice the contrast, the tree in verses 7 and 8. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord whose trust is the Lord. And then it's the distinction. Trusts in the Lord, but even more than that, his trust is the Lord himself. Now, what is the distinction? Well, we could say that trusting in the Lord means trusting in the Lord to provide, to give, to meet our needs, to look after us, which, of course, is true. But it goes beyond that. His trust is the Lord himself, who he is and not just what he can provide. Another analogy, a comparison, verse 8. He's like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream. 
does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green. It's not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. A tree planted by water, no matter how hot and how dry it gets otherwise, this tree thrives because it's able to put its roots into the water. It's able to tap into that source of life for the tree. Now, those verses may sound familiar. Turn over to Psalm 1. Psalm 1, you're probably familiar with it, the very first psalm. In fact, uh, it's a great psalm to memorize. It's only six verses, and it's repetition and double theme make it an easy one to remember. But notice, uh, the blessing of the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers, delights in the law of the Lord. On his law he meditates day and night. He is like what? He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Just dry husks that are blown away by the wind. Striking the similarity of uh, the the images here. But the contrast of the, the person who is not serving the Lord versus the person who's walking with the Lord. But what we trust the Lord here for? We trust the Lord for life. Now, we're accustomed to thinking of trusting in Jesus for eternal life. That is, trusting Jesus to provide life after I die. That the wages of sin is death, but the, eternal gift of, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, thankfully, that's true. We praise God for that. But the wages of sin is death in this life also. Sin is, is death. Sin is empty. Sin is a shrub trying to grow on a salt flat. But the Lord provides life not just after death, not just in, in eternity, but life now. Because we are tapping into the Lord himself, who is the giver of life, so that we have eternal life in Christ now, but life that is life is life that is rooted in God. You see, if you base your life on a humanistic outlook, you have death. Not necessarily physical death, but that comes. But life apart from God is is death, whether you're breathing, whether your heart's beating or not. Jesus, John chapter 7, stands up and on the last day of the feast cries out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. You see, life is found in Christ. And just as that shrub is going to wither and die for lack of water, uh, the tree rooted in Christ and that stream of water will have life regardless of the outward circumstances because we are rooted in Christ. And abundantly, that's why Jesus says, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water, not just a drop or two to keep us going but an abundance that overflows to others. So the first thing Jeremiah discusses here is that we can trust God to provide life, not just eternal life, though yes that, but life that is life even here in this world, life that is abundant, life that is full, life that is meaningful, life that is plenty, life that is rich. The second thing that he speaks to here is we can trust the Lord to show us the truth. We can trust him to show us what is true. Look at verses 9 through 13. 
Um, if any of you have ever done, I think it's the, the Navigator's uh, Scripture Memory System. You probably memorized Jeremiah 17:9 somewhere along the way. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? But the flip side of that is in verse 10. The bad news really comes in verse 10. I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Now, Michael Horton in his book, Christless Christianity, quotes Joel Osteen, a noted preacher, as saying, well, you know, you do your best, try hard, and maybe you fail, but God knows your heart. As if somehow that's good news. Jeremiah does not see that as good news. Why? Because the heart is deceitful in its fallen conditions. Condition and desperately sick. Who can who can understand it? Uh, anyone who has uh, in, engaged in any kind of self-examination, introspection, any Christian seeking to deal with more than just outward manifestations of sin, but to deal with a heart, will give a hearty amen to what Jeremiah says. Our hearts are profoundly affected by the fall. Our hearts lead us into sin. In fact, our hearts sin all the time. Of course, heart here having to do with our inner being, as Jeremiah describes it here. The Lord searches the heart. He tests the mind, literally the kidneys, but he's referring again to our inner being, our inner person, to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. That's that's bad news. Because it means that God sees more than just my outward behavior. He sees the heart that motivates outward sinful behavior as well as seeing outward good behavior that has selfish, self-centered, self-serving, manipulative motivation behind it. You know? The Lord says he looks at the, man looks at the outward appearance, but he looks at the heart. He sees the truth. He sees what people don't see. He sees our innermost being. He sees what we ourselves don't see. And that's scary. But you know, that's where many people are. Go with your heart. You know? The problem is our hearts are, as Jeremiah says, deceitful and desperately sick. Who can, who can understand it? Who can fathom its wiliness, its sinfulness? Well, the Lord sees it. The Lord knows. So we're not to trust our hearts. Our hearts can deceive us. Our hearts can trick us. Our hearts rationalize sin, justify and excuse our, explana- our, our behavior with all kinds of perverse explanations. So we don't trust in the heart. We also don't trust in wealth. Look at verse 11. This apparently reflects a proverb that operated on the popular idea that the partridge would uh, gather eggs that uh, it did not sell itself lay and, and raise them as its own. Like the partridge that gathers a brood she did not hatch, so is he who gets riches, but not by justice, in other words, not justly, not in a, in a right way. In the midst of his days, they will leave him, and at his end, he will be a fool. Um, Proverbs speaks a great deal of wealth, of wealth hastily gained, fleeing away, of, way, uh, of, of wealth uh, unjustly gained, uh, diminishing. And it's the same idea here. The person 
who is trusting in wealth, gathering wealth, perhaps by dishonest means, finds at the end that he has nothing, and at the end he is seen as a fool. He has no reputation. And so both of these images, what do we not trust in? Well, we don't trust our own hearts. We certainly don't trust in wealth, trying to gain all we can in the world, even by devious means. Well, we trust in God. Look at verses 12 and 13. A glorious throne set on high from the beginning is the place of our sanctuary. O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you shall be put to shame. Those who turn away from you shall be written in the earth. An interesting expression. It basically seems to mean that they're buried. For they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living water. Now, verse 12 seems to hint at the idea of the temple and the presence of God, the throne set on high from the beginning, the place of our sanctuary. Remember, earlier in chapter 7, Jeremiah blasted Judah for their, for their empty worship in the temple. But that didn't mean that God's presence there uh, and the worship there was bad. It was that they were going through the motions out of mere routine. Their hearts were elsewhere. Uh, however... Verse, 15, verse 13 is really the key, that the Lord is the hope of Israel. How simple, and yet how slow, as they serve these pagan gods, as they made alliances with other nations, contrary to how God had instructed them, trusting in everything, hoping in everything, except the Lord. But you see how, how easily we too are tempted to go in that direction, to go with what our own heart thinks is right, rather than what the Word of God says, to make it our ambition to provide for ourselves here in this world, or even to amass, perhaps being tempted to do so in in less than honest ways, in ways little beneath integrity. But rather our trust is in the Lord, the hope of Israel. Uh, More is said here negatively than positively. Those who forsake, end in shame. Those who turn away, written in the earth, where they've forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living Water. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Jesus himself is that fountain of living water. But the Lord, he tells us the truth. That that we're to trust not in our hearts, not in wealth, but rather to trust in the Lord. Your heart will lie to you. The world and its treasures will lie to you. But God will never lie to you. He is a source of truth and we trust in him. Third specific area where God can be trusted Trust him to give us life, trust him to show us truth, but we can also trust him to provide us with refuge. Look at the last verses, 14 through 18. Praise for healing, verse 14. Notice this, heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me and I shall be saved, for you are my praise. Now, what a turnaround from back in chapter 15, verse 18. Will you be to me like a deceitful brook, like waters that fail? To heal me and I shall be healed, save me and I shall be saved, for you you are my praise. You see, he recognizes that whatever happens, God can heal him, God can save him, he praises God. Uh, There's a certain element of resignation here of himself into the hands of the Lord. He prays for vindication. Verse 15, behold, They say to me, where is the word of the Lord? Let it come. In other words, they're taunting Jeremiah. Where where is all this that you say is going to happen? Bring it on. 
Maybe they saying that in, in sarcasm, let it come, or perhaps Jeremiah's prayer. Let it come. Let your word be fulfilled. I'm inclined to think it's the latter. That's more uh, Jeremiah's exclamation. But either way, uh, Jeremiah recognizes that people taunt him. They disbelieve his words. And he certainly wants to be vindicated. Verse 16, he pleads his faithfulness before the Lord. He hasn't run away from being the shepherd God appointed him to be. Nor, he says, have I desired the day of sickness. You see, Jeremiah would rather they repent. Jeremiah would rather they be spared. Uh, he, he speaks out of great love and he also speak, for his people, and he also speaks out of the recognition that he himself will suffer along with them. And he also pleads for the Lord to be his refuge. Look at verse 17. Be not a terror to me. Interesting statement, because God was going to be a terror to Judah. And certainly he will be a terror to those who do not know him, to those who have rejected Christ, even to those who have never heard of Christ. But he says, be not a terror to me. Rather, he says, you are my refuge in the day of disaster. And then verse 18, um, recognizing that those who persecuted him should be put to shame, but he should not be put to shame. Let them be dismayed. Let me not be dismayed. Too often it seems like it's the wicked who have it well. Uh, it is those who, uh, who persecute God's people who have it easy, as Asaph wrestles with in Psalm 73. But, but Jeremiah pleads rightly. He says, let them be ashamed. They should be ashamed. Let them be dismayed in their unbelief and their wickedness, but not me. What a great prayer. What a, what a great passage even to pray yourself. Uh, before the Lord, that God's enemies would be dismayed, that his people, those who walk with him, those who serve him, those who live for him, would be vindicated, would be shown to be right, certainly in this life. Now, that will happen. We spoke this morning of the return of Christ. And in that day, not only Christ, but his own people will be vindicated, will be shown to have been right all along. Well, Jeremiah certainly wants that, but I think he wants this to be seen even in this life. Well, it's exciting. It's very encouraging uh, to see how Jeremiah has come 180 degrees from where he was in chapter 15. And it's possible that you may be uh, right now or maybe someday will be where Jeremiah was in chapter 15, verse 18, where it seems like everything is wrong, nothing is getting better, and you turn to the Lord and yet you seem to come away empty. Maybe voicing that, even as Jeremiah did there. But even Jeremiah himself could come to the place where he says, Heal me and I'll be healed. Save me and I'll be saved. For you are my praise. Where is the help when you're chapter 15, verse 18? Well, it's at those point, that point that you have to trust in the goodness of God, to trust in the faithfulness of God, that he will not leave us there. That God will always prove himself good. He will always prove himself faithful. He always shows that we can trust him for life, for truth, for salvation. Let's pray. Father, we do trust in you. Whom else can we trust? Father, we look to you for life, 
We look to you for truth. We look to you to be our refuge in this world. Father, I pray that none of us would find ourselves personally, inwardly, in as dark a place as Jeremiah was. And certainly, Father, I pray that none of us, in terms of our outward circumstances, would find ourselves in as dark a place as Jeremiah was. But if so, Lord, we will trust in you, not in ourselves, not in man, not in the strength of our own flesh, and certainly not in our hearts, not in wealth or whatever this world can provide, but in you alone. And by your grace, Father, may it be so. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.